Hi everybody, welcome to the Vanquish Your Business Demons podcast. I'm Julia Stock, Business Revolutionary, and I am joined once again by my partner in crime, the amazing Vicky Henderson. Hello. Hello. Yeah, you're just a partner in crime this week. That's all right, I can cope with that. So we have spent the last three weeks talking about recruitment in terms of the kind of mechanics of it, haven't we? Yeah. Recruitment's not really about the mechanics, is it? got to go through the mechanics to do the recruitment and get a good induction up and running but no (laughs) absolutely the mechanics and doing quality mechanics does have a significant impact on success but it doesn't stop you recruiting the wrong person no and in the end recruiting the right person is all about art rather than science isn't it it is maybe <laughs> we're being so, very objectionable this afternoon aren't we we are um there is an art to recruitment and the art is to also consider the science to recruitment there you go how's that oh lucky you go um so we have to look at the personalities involved in our team Yes. Certain jobs lend themselves to certain personalities and other jobs. There is no real personality type that creates success. So being wildly stereotypical, and I know it, generally successful salespeople are pretty extrovert. Yes. Um, they are pretty confident, they're pretty enthusiastic, and they're pretty optimistic about the future. Um, Librarians tend to be much quieter. Partly because you have to, you know, would you really want to be all loud and extrovert if you're a librarian? No. (laughs) That would be agony. Generally, if you are um, working as a nurse, certainly as from a patient perspective, I would want my nurse to be warm, caring, empathic. Yes. Um, I want them to care about me as a person. Um, That doesn't mean you have to be. But if you're not naturally warm, empathic and caring, you'll probably get really annoyed. Yeah, and it's amazing. You would think that people wouldn't choose those types of jobs because of their personalities, Mm -hmm. but actually that's not always the case. No, Um, because they're perhaps attracted to different parts of the job. And I know plenty of robust nurses who don't consider being warm and empathic to be a massive part of the job. They consider their ruthless efficiency and competence to be far more important in delivering high quality care. Yeah. They're not wrong. (laughs) No, they're not wrong, but 
yes, it's about getting the balance right. Or it's about considering whose priorities are most important. And actually, it's an interesting case. You know, if you are in hospital, which is more important to you, competent, capable care or warm, soft, fluffy care? Now, I'm not saying that you can't, that you have to have one without the other. You absolutely can have both. There are plenty of people who have both. But there are plenty of people who work in healthcare that don't have both. Yes. Um, and I was waiting for you to go somewhere with that, yes? And you just oh, were didn't. you? Okay, sorry. Um, <laughs> and this is, this is what it boils down to. This is the challenge for any recruiter, is how much of X or Y is enough? And how much is too little? Yes. But if you, how do you go about measuring that in an interview? And if I ask you, oh, Vicky Henderson, how warm and empathic are you? Oh, well, I'd like this job as a nurse, please. So today I'm very, very warm and empathic and I love people. Yes. Now, that may be that you're deliberately lying to get the job because you know the answer, the right answer to the question. It may be you're deluding yourself. Um, and lots of people do delude themselves within the recruitment process. It may be that you just don't know the answer to the question. Either because you've never done the job before. So if I've never been a nurse, I don't know how warm and empathic I need to be. Yeah. And... Also, none of us really know how our levels of woman empathy compare to the rest of the population. No, and the other thing is, from with my mindset head on, having somebody who is too warm and empathetic mm -hmm. and takes on the troubles of their world yep. is actually as bad as having somebody who is not remotely warm and empathetic. It's that balance in the middle because you do not want somebody who's generally speaking, if they're empathetic and they take on the troubles of the world, they're, they're loaded down with stuff and they're super stressed out individuals. You know, from an emotional intelligence point of view, you want somebody who is able to regulate their emotions in that, yes, I'm warm and empathetic, but actually, I'm not going to let it get in the way of the efficiency of my job. I'm also um, resilient. And yes, you've got to be resilient as well. Yes. Can I actually cope with the level of stuff that I have to deal with? Um, just think about being a nurse on a children's cancer ward. I don't think I could do that. No, I don't think I could do it either. Um, they have to be seriously hardcore at the same time as being seriously warm and empathic. Yeah. Um, that takes a very special type of person to be able to cope with the sheer unfairness of it all. Um, and then on top of that, so we've got what we need in order to be successful at the job. Yeah. Then we need to think from a recruitment perspective, um, how well are they going to get on with their boss? Because 
there's an awful lot of managers who are odd. Yes. I'm trying to be tactful. <laughs> or as a, a friend of mine who runs his own business in this area says, they're accidental managers. Yes. They've been promoted to the position, but they've never actually really been given any leadership or management training. So they don't really know what their role is. And there are so many companies these days that promote people, expect them to have a completely full job roster of work to do and forget that they're actually also needing the time to manage their people. Yes. And they don't know how to manage them anyway and they don't have any time to do it. And when they were promoted, they were promoted often in hope. Yes. Um, I love you. I love working with you. I think you're like me. I'm a really great manager and I may well be a really great manager. Um, and I see so much of me in you. Therefore you are like me. Therefore you are going to rock at this job. One, because I really like you and want to work with you. And two, because I don't have a better plan. Well, yeah. And then you find people who were promoted because they've been there the longest. Yep. And they'd get the hump if you promoted somebody else over the top of them, regardless of whether they're any, going to be any good in that role or not. Or enjoy the role or um, absolutely. And then they're still not trained. Um, so we have a lot of untrained managers and we have a lot of managers who should not be in the job of yeah. managing and supervising others. From a recruitment perspective, that means that we need to consider who we should be recruiting into that role in order that they can cope and not necessarily just cope but thrive um in terms of yeah living with me as i am on a normal day as opposed to this sepia toned image of me on a good day because we're all capable of putting on a great show on a good day. Yeah. When we're under stress, those good days don't happen very often. And having people underneath us as subordinates who we are not on the same wavelength, who we have to go out of our comfort zone in order to get a tune out of, adds in more stress into the situation. And yeah. if we're putting more thought into it from a recruitment perspective we don't have to create that situation in the first place do we no we don't and also by having this information at our fingertips if we know the makeup of the team for example yep we would also know if we brought this person into the team they're going to be a great match they're going to bring some skills into the team that the current team doesn't have but actually they're going to fit really nicely into the team because they're not so different that it's off the planet mm -hmm. And that way you're not upsetting the apple cart because as we know from previous statistics that we've shared, if you bring somebody in who completely upsets the apple cart, not only do you end up with them potentially leaving and you've wasted, I don't know how many thousands of pounds or tens of thousands of pounds on their failed recruitment. Or even hundreds. You start to, yeah, you might also start to lose um, you know, start to lose really valuable members of staff because they're just cheesed off by the fact that this person's come in and completely upset everything. Yes, 
And even the best, most committed members of staff, if you are repeatedly recruiting people who aren't a great match, either for the job, the company, or for your boss, the really good people who do thrive in that environment just get to a stage where they've run out of energy. You can only ask people to go above and beyond so many times before they go, stuff this, I'm off to have a quiet life somewhere and recharge my batteries and why am I doing this? Yeah. Um, And that drives a lot of staff turnover. Um, When, as managers and owners, we don't get it right. Or we get it wrong more times than we get it right. And that's normally because we're compromising or we're recruiting in hope. Yeah, or we're not recruiting for the right role. Yeah. Potentially, and then they end up taking stuff on that's not in the original job remit. Mm-hmm. Um, or we are not recruiting enough staff, which is a massive situation at the moment. Did you know there's currently more vacancies than there are um, spare capacity in the workforce? Yeah. So the number of vacancies exceeds the number of unemployed people, I think, for the first time ever. Yeah. Um, demand is absolutely huge at the moment. Yeah. And it's a, and that means that companies need to look at doing things differently. Um, they do, because there will be an element of desperation in these companies to just get somebody in and somebody on that seat. And that's when it potentially all falls apart because you're, you know, you're recruiting the wrong person because you you have this just, I need somebody here to do yes. something, to release the stress now, and so I'll take whatever I can get, regardless of and we get the right fit. We get so caught up in the, I must have staff, I must have staff, I must have staff, as the solution to the problem, that we fail to look at wider solutions. We're in the zone, in the box, um and yeah we stop using our brain um there is always there's this knife edge between having no staff and having rubbish staff Mm -hmm. and it really does depend on circumstances i know a number of times where you know you can go along quite happily for a period of time going no i'm gonna hold firm hold firm hold firm we're coping, we're coping, we're coping. And then you get to a stage where the wheels are starting to come off the bus and that triggers over into the other side on the, no, I need a body and I need it now. And there's no, you can't see any other way out of the issue. Um, And in many organisations, you don't have any choice. You know, there are these kind of ratios between staff and workload. And you run out of options in terms of juggling. Yeah, and I think one thing I'm seeing a lot of at the moment is some of the bigger companies that I coach into, it's where, oh, we need to, you know, we need to reduce overheads, we need to reduce costs, et cetera, et cetera, but we want sales to go up. So they're making people redundant, just taking jobs away, but actually they're not, the workload's not getting any less. So then they're ending up with super stressed out people who are going, 
what are we doing about this? The only solution to solve these super stressed out people, potentially, is to bring jobs in. But you've just decided you're not going to do that because you've made people redundant. Uh, and I see so many companies struggling with this at the moment. And, you know, their staff really struggling to cope. Because they didn't engage their brain when they were looking at how they could reduce cost to explore all the other different ways of reducing cost. Um, If you've got an amount of workload, it has to be done. So the only way you're reducing that workload is to do things radically differently. And that then allows you to strip stuff out. Yeah. Um, It's like, you know, British civil service, you know, the politicians talking about how we're going to strip 20% of jobs out. Right. (laughs) Okay. Knock yourselves out. 20% of the workload out. Yeah, because you're not you're not talking about that at all unless suddenly, you know, where's it all going? Um, because you're not accompanying it with radical suggestions about how you're going to do this differently. Yeah. You're just whining. Anyway, we've got off the track. So we have bigged this up to make recruitment sound hideously complicated and scary. But well it's done. Not really? I think the point is that if you use all of the tools out there, you can get answers to these questions. So people have been listening to this going, that's lovely, but you can't answer that in an interview. And we're going, no, you can't answer that in an interview. But you can use some really cool psychometric tools in order to get the answer to these questions, can't you? You can. Um, there are a lot of them out there on the market. And Thousands. They are not all equal. Are they not? <laughs> no. There are, there are some that are very much better than others. Um, they tell you different things. Yes. Um, so it requires a certain amount of research into which are the best ones to use and what information you want to find out. Yes. Um, one of the ones that I know we discuss regularly that's often used in recruitment is DISC. Yes. And whilst I'm still a supporter of DISC, I know you're not, um, <laughs> but I use it in a slightly different way. And I think that's where the, the, it comes Okay, so in. tell me more. Um, in that a lot of the time within a DISC report, people are going, I'm this. Yeah. And they will then use that as a label and they will use it to justify bad behaviour. Yep. And they will use it to justify why they're doing something the way they're doing it. Rather than saying, actually, I've got some of each of these colours in me. Mm-hmm. And it's looking at the how to balance them out. So, for example, you could be a very high eye, an influencer with a very high yellow score. But if you've got low emotional intelligence, you're going to be a nightmare to work with. If you have high emotional intelligence, you would be a joy to work with. Yep. So there's all sorts of things involved in it. And often when you do them, you put your staff through them and you've been told how to debrief or you have someone else how to debrief, they're coming at it from a very, this is what it tells you, black and white point of view. They're not coming at it from a psychological coach's interpretation point of view. Um, And that's one of the things that I've kind of come across with them. I I work with one company who said, oh, we have DISC. Their DISC is rubbish. (laughs) compared to the one that I work with, just because of the information that it's chucking out. It's so, yeah, it's so limited and unspecific to the individual that actually it's not that much use. So we talked about three main areas of match in recruitment. Match to the job, match to the 
kind of organizational culture yeah. match to your boss. Yeah. So I can see how DISC could be good in terms of match to organizational culture and potentially personality match to your boss. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, DISC helps you, you know, the logic behind it is you want a range of people around the wheel in a big team in order to have a range of perspectives and not to kind of create a monoculture of everybody's the same around here. Yeah. So DISC is great for that. What DISC cannot tell me is whether or not I'm going to enjoy working as a nurse. No, exactly. Which is why we use the one that we do for recruitment. Which is the lovely Harrison assessment. It is. And what Harrison does is in its focus on work enjoyment looks at whether or not I'm going to enjoy doing the things I need to enjoy to be successful at that job. So we talked about being the right amount of warm and empathic to be successful and enjoy being a nurse and to cope with being a nurse. And that's what Harrison looks at is, do I have enough? Um, And in some cases, do I have too much? Yeah. in other cases, do I not have enough? And it's focused on the job, but we can also then personalize those templates. And I do this all the time with my clients where we're looking at the mix of personalities within that team or that organization. And then we can look and see how good a match somebody is. We can also do it based on management ability as well. So Harrison will show us whether somebody is naturally going to enjoy being a good manager. Mm-hmm. And this is the kind of decision-making, you know, an enjoyment of making decisions. Yeah. Whether or not they have that good combination of kind of analytic skills and intuition, because someone's highly analytical and has no intuition doesn't tend to enjoy coping with the complexities of people. Yeah. They're brilliant at managing things, but people kind of freak them out. Um, We've got their level of assertiveness and their ability to assert their own needs over the needs of others. We're not talking about massive levels, but if you don't enjoy doing that at all, you're really going to struggle as a manager. The interest that you have in enforcing necessary rules, you know, there is normally a way of doing things. There are processes, policies. As a manager, it's your job to make sure they're enforced. And if you hate doing that for whatever reason, you're going to struggle. We need to look at communication skills. Um, and you know, managers have to be good communicators. They need to be enthusiastic about their goals. They need to be organised. Um We need all of these in a manager. If we don't, and often you don't have all of those things, then that's where we can use Harrison to both spot the manager that we do have as opposed to the manager we would like to have. Yeah. And we can then be looking to recruit people who have got abilities and interests that complement so that they can cope with that. So if you're a manager who hates enforcing rules, let's find someone who's super motivated in order that you're probably not going to need to. This person you're recruiting to be ahead of you as a manager. Brilliant. Yeah, yeah absolutely. And 
the other thing that the assessments look at is engagement and what sort of working environments people yep. enjoy and what you know what's important to them in a job so for example if they say that actually um, you know working to financial targets they hate they don't want to do that but they're going into a sales role well you're up against a fight you're fighting a losing battle before you've started unless you can find what motivates them differently so to speak so maybe that person they might be a great salesperson but you might need to motivate them by something other than money yep. in order to get the financial outcome but if you don't know that in the first place it's going to be very difficult to do it what i found is harrison gives more interesting questions to ask at interview because yeah. Rather than going, hi, Vicky, how warm and empathic are you? Yes. Uh, uh, or, you know, what's your work tempo like? I don't know. Yeah. Um, I can go, hi, I can see that you naturally enjoy a work, you know, speedy work tempo. What does that look like for you? Um, you know, we already know where you're at. Um, and so we can talk more specifically we know how you compare with the general population we know how you compare with us so there isn't this mismatch of of language um and yeah it does lead you to if nothing else knowing that you are making a bad decision yeah <laughs> and knowing why you're making a bad decision um because not all recruitment decisions are equally bad, are they? No, because you, some people, you know, for example, you could look at, you might have two people who are left. One has the right attitude mm -hmm. and uh, is really keen to learn and everything else. The other one might not have the best attitude, but they've got all the skills and knowledge you need. Now, in that situation, if I'd done psychometrics, I'd always take the person who lacked the skills and knowledge but had the attitude yep. because you know they're going to be trainable. Whereas the other person who maybe has all the skills and knowledge but thinks they're right all the time is actually going to be a pain in the rear end because they're not going to be changeable. They are not going to be open to different perspectives. Mm -hmm. um, and that way, I'd much rather have the person with the right attitude and train them up to do things properly rather than the other way around, bringing somebody who's brilliant in but isn't going to listen to anyone else. But there's lots of organisations that have the opposite view and they're very much looking for an oven-ready chicken, somebody that they yeah. can plug and play and you're going to perform straight away and la-la-la-la-la about the problems. Um, psychometrics can inform your decision-making. And what I found is, in my experience not all reasons not to recruit somebody are the same so there are things that you can choose that i can live with that yeah. and there are other times where you're going no um like the um structural engineer who didn't enjoy maths or being precise and had a tendency to be blindly optimistic no <laughs> exactly um that's not you know to get the level of performance that you need, you're going to have to constantly manage and quality assure that person's work mm. because and their I, natural yeah. tendency is not to do quality work, not yeah. deliberately. It's just what the quality that you need from that person is not where their natural ability is. 
So you're going to have to drive that performance. Now, you may be in a business where you love driving that performance. You're set up to drive that performance because everybody else in your team has the same problem, in which case that person's going to fit in just fine. Yeah. So it's looking and seeing the culture and the organisation as to what you can live with. And I think the other thing that we know about Harrison is that it gives you an overall score. And we say, ideally, you don't want to consider anybody who's below 80 percent. But the 80 percent will be made up of different things for each individual person. So it's then looking at that 20 percent that's missing and going, OK, well, that 20 percent there I can live with. But actually, that 20 percent there is going to be more of a challenge. Absolutely. Which so is... they both fit the job well, but it depends what's fallen into that category that doesn't fit and what impact that's going to have on you, the team, the organisation. Which is where people like us being trained to use tools like this actually has the impact because we're then interpreting the reports and going, can you live with this? Can you not live with it? We're coming to the end of our time. We, um, we had way too much fun. <laughs> so if you guys would like to know more about Harrison assessments and using psychometrics within recruitment, uh, I suggest you go to the Be Astute website. That would be be-astute.co.uk where you can find out more. In the meantime, thank you very much for listening. Vicky, you have been marvellous as ever. And we shall see everybody soon. Brilliant. Thank you.